Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. This is the Hip Hop Saved My Life podcast. Thank you for listening to the podcast. Hope you enjoy the podcast. Now sit back because it's time for the podcast. Okay, welcome to Hip Hop Save My Life. Um, I am delighted to be joined on the line by Lenny James. How are you, sir? I'm good, matey. How are you? Uh, very good, thank you. Now, we were just talking before we started recording. Uh, we're kind of... Um, this might be how all podcasts have to be recorded in the future, right? Because uh, we're all on lockdown right now. Yeah, it's a state of things to come, I reckon. For a little oh, no. while, anyway. I mean, as a stand-up comedian, I'm fucked. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, as an actor, I'm completely yeah. screwed because I can't get anything done on my own. <laughs> I mean, Mate. what am I going to do? Just talk into a phone on selfie mode and uh, hope people like my shit? No, it's not going to. It's, it's not so mad. Take a bow because I'm just assuming that they're applauding. I don't think so. <laughs> <laughs> it's so mad because you sort of think it feels now like. I mean, I'm, look, I'm sure this will all pass and people are panicking and getting nervous. Although you're saying in Austin they're pretty chilled out about it. It doesn't feel like that too much of a vibe, no? Well, you know, it's Texas and, you know, there's that lone star spirit, I suppose. But like I was saying, I was walking about in the park yesterday yeah. just to kind of stretch, stretch our legs. And uh, we were surprised at the number of people, not just the people who were out and about, but yeah. just that they were in, you know, groups i mean obviously in groups of less than 10 because that's what's been advised but there were there was one point where we had to get off the path and just walk across green because there were just too many bloody people about but um you know but we were about so you know they're taking it seriously like i said yeah. if, if you know if you go to the supermarkets after 11 12 o'clock there's going to be bare shelves and stuff you can't yeah. get but um you know and this is a smart city this is a kind of kind of liberal bubble in a conservative state so you know people are are taking it seriously but um they're getting out and about that's for sure it's a very fit city austin yeah it's you know right, people right. are people are out riding bikes running doing their exercises in the park there's a huge river runs through the middle of it that people make the most of so um yeah i mean i, I think people are taking it seriously but they're not letting it lock them down yet which is different in other states it's different than it is in New York where I think it's getting a bit full on out there well I think I, I was in New York doing shows a couple of weeks ago and since then it feels like people are uh, you know it almost feels like people are aggressively trying to encourage people to stay inside and you almost seem as like a some sort of uh, species traitor if you go out of the house at the moment do you know what I mean I think people are sort of uh, worried that people aren't taking it seriously enough how zen are you about it? Are you pretty chilled out about things like this, or is it freaking you out? Um, I, do you know what? I flip between one and one and the other. I try and kind of, you know, um, and be zen about it and deal with it just exactly 
what what situation we're in at this particular moment and not try and escalate it in my brain thinking about what's happening in the future. But um, I'm not always successful about that. So, you know, I'm being as sensible as I possibly can. Um, but um, I'm absolutely taking it seriously. I'm trying to be informed without being, you know, bucked by every new statement or every um, new news report or every theory or every new reevaluation of what's going on. I'm just trying to um, keep it real, I guess, as much as I possibly can. I know, it's insane, isn't it? Because I think, you know, you want to stay informed because that's human nature and you're trying to keep on top of things. But actually, there is an argument that you can be too connected to what's going on. It's almost too much to process and then you end up freaking yourself out. Yeah, and it's, you know, it's one of the downfalls of the 24-hour news cycle, really. They got, they got to fill the airwaves. They got to fill the space. So they've got to come up with stuff to say. And some of it, you, you're glad you've found out and other bits of it, you're like, I just worried myself for half the day about something that's going to change tomorrow so um yeah i'm trying to be um as cool about it as i possibly can some days that's okay other days it's it's a little bit harder it's it's you know we're, part of being responsible is kind of not going out as much as possible which means you're stuck inside and sometimes you know there's only so many things you can binge watch and there's only so much stuff you can read i'm trying to you know, um, get through some scripts that I'm meant to read that I haven't read, trying to catch up with people, trying to fill the hours and not sit with the radio on, just listening to every fart and burp that comes out of the White House. I know, I know. Well, look, we, uh, we're not here to talk about uh, the uh, ramification of the coronavirus, but I do want to talk to you about um, Save Me, which um, it's so exciting for us to have you on the podcast. Obviously, we're going to talk about hip-hop, but this show is absolutely incredible. The second series is about to come up, but that first series is one of the best things. I mean, you must have heard this a lot, so I don't know if this feels like... Uh, you know, you're getting sick of hearing it. But one of the best things I've seen on TV in years. Uh, my genuinely not to... sick of hearing that. Genuinely, <laughs> genuinely, we could do the whole length of this podcast with you only saying that over and over again until people understand. Well, my my wife is, um, she's so, she loves the show so much, she's worried about your career that you've agreed to come onto this podcast. That's, that's <laughs> a big, big step down for you. But uh, am I right in saying this is very much... This is very much your baby, this whole thing from conception to, to delivery of this thing on our screens. Was it, I mean, how did it come about, this whole show? How it came about was uh, Anne Mentor, who was the um, head of uh, Sky Drama at that particular moment in time, um, remembered a film I wrote, which was nearly 20 years ago. How scary is that? Um, right. For the BBC called Storm Damage. And... She just phoned up my agent one day and said, um, why is Lenny not writing and how can we get him writing? Does he have an idea? And my agent phoned me up and said, um, I've had this phone call from Anne. She wants to know if you've got an idea for a returning television series. And I went, I don't know, let me have a think. And um, it just so happened I was in a job in Detroit and I had a long weekend. I think it was President's Day or Labor Day or something like that. So I had a... Friday to Monday off and I just 
went through ideas in my head and um, by the end of it I'd come up with a page treatment for Save Me and it wasn't called Save Me at that particular moment in time it was called Gone and um, and I ran it past my agent she liked it she sent it to Anne Anne liked it she commissioned the first episode and it kind of spiralled on from there really so that's I mean that is because I was expecting you to say it was an idea that you've been an idea that you've been sitting on for ages, but you literally came up with it on spec. And then... Yeah, well, I didn't literally. I mean, it was it was actually the kernel of it was a was a um, part of an idea I had for a completely different television series. Um, but right. the, the the character in the other television series was some was someone who was much more qualified than Nelly was to do what Nelly was set out to do. So he was right. an he was an ex cop who had given up being a cop to look after his two girls after his wife had died and um, and then one of his girls go missing and he goes looking for the girl, the daughter that's gone missing with his elder daughter who's come back from university to help her dad find her younger sister and that was part of a bigger story um, uh, that I had been working on and I took that idea and tried to um, work on it but the more I kind of worked on it worked on it or thought about it the more I just felt like I was rehashing old stuff that I'd seen before and then I just suddenly thought why don't I make him useless why don't I make him a not quite a fully formed human being and certainly not a fully formed man and I came up with Nelly as the kind of blueprint of it and then when I thought about Nelly I thought about this pub that you know uh, a family member of mine used to hang in a lot and that I used to go and visit him there quite a lot and then once I figured that as the location and Nelly as our main protagonist all of the other characters just fell into place. Nelly's daughter uh, goes missing and this, this it's essentially the story of him just going all out to find her. He is a very difficult guy to get behind. You know, I mean, I'm telling you what you know. You wrote the character. <laughs> but did you have to rework how much of a, a shit you made him in terms of... Or did you want to push the audience as far as you could in terms of, obviously, his determination to find his daughter is an extreme... Is a really... You know, you can get behind that as a viewer. But very little else about him you can get behind. Do you know what I mean, was that something you were deliberately trying to push in the audience? It's a really weird thing. I guess, like, in... Um, in one way or another i slightly get asked that question a lot and one of the things yeah. that people say is you know were you know you know describe nelly as a kind of flawed character and i although i'm aware of why people perceive him as a flawed character it's only in comparison to who usually is the um uh, the protagonist or usually is at the center of a story and i suppose nelly's an unusual fella to have in the middle of it i just wanted to write the whole guy I wanted to, you know, to write his, his good points and his bad points. I wanted to write why people love him and why some people hate him. And that's important yeah. within the story because the people who love him are the people who help him on his quest to find his daughter, Jody, And the people who hate him, it, as it turns out, are people who are involved in, um, in his daughter going missing. So I think it's... I just wanted to write that this fella at the beginning, that what was good about him was why people wanted to go to the pub back in the day and drink with him and why women wanted to be close to him. But what was bad about him is why people might wreak vengeance on him. So he's, for me, I was trying to write the whole guy. I wasn't kind of trying to subvert the notion of the hero. Um, although, right. you know, later on, obviously, I kind of become 
conscious of that, that that's what I'm doing. But at the beginning, what I really want, I just wanted to write a thriller. And I wanted to test my, I wanted to test myself as a writer and write a, and write a thriller. And I wanted to set it someplace that I, I that I knew and and um, and and that was as much the impetus as anything else. Really, the idea of the missing child, kind of, you know, was when I, when I was first setting out was in in a weird way secondary. I wanted to write um, a kind of a thriller and test myself with the tropes of a thriller and I wanted to write a story about redemption it's it's an amazing I mean it's so gripping if you haven't watched it it's like properly um arse clenchingly tension filled you know what I mean? <laughs> we will talk about hip hop in a second it's just I love the show so much but um were you blown were you expecting the kind of response that you got to that show I mean it, it seems to have blown people away you know, you hope for it, but you can't. You can't really. I'm too long in the tooth in this game to uh, to have expectations. Really, you just try and do the best job you can, put it out there, and see if anybody notices. But it was a very weird thing because I'm um, mostly um, based in LA. So I, when I woke up on the day that Save Me was um, released in the UK, um, I'm eight hours behind everybody else and it was a particularly snowy day and everybody loads of people stayed home so and um sky atlantic um dropped it as a box set so you could watch all six episodes in one go and loads of people did so by the time i woke up at i don't know seven o'clock in the morning in um in la between 40 and seventy thousand people had already watched it beginning to end and i was (laughs) i was like well Okay, that's a bit weird. So, uh, and, you know, and I was, you know, my phone was blowing up and, and, you know, everybody who knew me was trying to get in contact with me going, have you seen what's happening? And I think it was going mad on Twitter and all of that kind of stuff. So, yeah, it was, um, it was way beyond um, expectation. Um, But it was, um, I'd be lying if I didn't say it was, uh, it was a lovely way for, to the response of what we spent five months doing, really. Here's a little bit that we like to call. How did you get into hip hop? Well, listen, um, you are a you are a music fan, um, I am. and, and hip hop is part of that. What, how did you get into hip hop in the first place? I got into hip hop like virtually everybody of my generation. It was um, Sugar Hill Gang and Rappers Delight, really. I said a hip I can remember it really vividly um, uh, uh, for a certain period of my life me and my brother lived in a children's home in Tooting right opposite Tooting yeah. Common and um and there were 18 kids in this home in a grade two listed georgian mansion and um sugar hill gang came on top of the pops and um and all of us just found ourselves wandering into the day room as we called it where the television and the table tennis table was and uh, we all just stood there and just with literally in my memory anyways with our mouths open just kind of going what is that and how do you do that? And um, and it, yeah, and that was that was 
the beginning, middle, and and um, and everything for for us for a while. Just the mission became that, and the message. The mission became learning every single lyric. At that time when Rapper's Delight came out, did that feel like you'd not heard anything like it before at all? Or, or was it that was that the way that music was moving in and that felt like a natural progression? Or was it like, holy shit, I've never heard anything like this before? I never heard anything that had come before it that made me think this was this was going to be the jump. I mean, you know, we grew, you know, um, my parents are from the West Indies. So, yeah. you know, we had... Uh, reggae music coming over and we had you know we had you know i had cousins and um and older friends who had sound systems and would go out and you know and play sounds and stuff and people would be toasting over um reggae music so we had that version of it but we didn't connect it in i didn't at least i didn't connect that to hip-hop when i first heard you know uh rapper's delight it was just something it was just something new and I was, you know, even the fact that they were kind of sampled chic and were playing over, um, you know, uh, the, the bass line and the, and the licks to, to chic was all, was it just yeah. had us completely blown away. It was, it, uh-huh. I, I, I don't think there's a way in describing just how new it was and just how, yeah. just how the, the, the jump came out of nowhere. I mean, later on, you know, when I kind of was older and kind of, more in my in my teens, I started following Gil Scott Heron, and right. um, and would see him loads, like the town and country, and when he used to come and play over here, and you could see a connection there between the kind of beat poets of the sixties and seventies, and and how it, it it would step on. But uh, uh, but I didn't know any of that when I first heard Rapper's Delight. I just thought it had been beamed down from from some other planet. Did you immerse yourself in the culture after that? I mean, were you buying records and stuff? What sort of stuff were you getting into off the back of that? Well, I tell you what it did, like it did to loads of people, really. It just made everybody want to be a rapper, really. Yeah. And it just made everybody think that they could do it. And I think it's one of the kind of um, the downsides of hip-hop is for, a, for too many years and too many bad tracks, any, everybody and their uncle was thought, well, it's just talking over music, isn't it? And um, and and everybody's kind of thought that they could do it. And I, you know, I was one of those kids. I was one of those right. kids who thought, oh, I can do this. I'll I'll have a go at it. And I really can't, and I shouldn't have. And um, but um, but I gave it a go for as long as was humanly possible, and made you know. And I have to apologise to all the people that I made listen to me because um, I quite obviously couldn't hear myself. But, um, yeah, I tried to listen to as much as possible, grab a hold of, of you know, um, whatever was the, the next thing kind of coming down the pike. And, uh, yeah, and I, w- I was there for a bit. I mean, it was it was a weird one because hip-hop happened to, for me and around the same time that, um, that Scar did and, right. uh, and the two-tone label did. And um, and the specials and madness and bad manners and the selector and all right. of those guys and also what they were preaching and and that was very close to home for me that whole two tone movement and that kind of post punk reggae mix that was happening yeah. through Scar and the anti Nazi League and anti racism was, was both of those 
both hip hop and and ska kind of collided with me um kind of at the same time and i was a kind of full on rude boy but uh, you know and like everybody we were all listening to to um rap music as it was then and hip hop as it kind of decided to call itself millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from noom like evan who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds salads generally for most people are the easy button right For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome. Like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome. Like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out-of-pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what-ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Hey, man, what's your favorite hip-hop album? Do you have um, any like favorite albums that you go back to? I mean, do you have a favorite album, hip hop album of all time? It's really hard to come up with a uh, a favorite album of all time. I, I suppose. I mean, there's Fear of the Black Planet um, of uh, um, Public Enemy because Chuck D is my guy. I got so much trouble on my mind. Refuse to lose. Here's your ticket. Have you heard about what's happened with Public Enemy? No, what's um, happened? Flavor Flow's been kicked out of the band. Did you hear about? Have you read about this at all? No, is this so, recent? Yeah, this happened maybe two, three weeks ago. So, oh, okay. Everything in the last month has just been coronavirus and figuring out if I've yeah, yeah. got a job. Basically, Public Enemy. There was an announcement that Public Enemy were doing um, uh, a benefit for Bernie Sanders. Okay. And they released this imagery. This Public Enemy Bernie Sanders collaboration event, or whatever. And then Flavor Flav issued a statement saying, "This is nothing to do with me." And Chuck D can't say Public Enemy are doing this because there is no Public Enemy without Flavor Flav. And then Chuck D basically came out after that and issued a statement saying the only reason Flavor Flav doesn't want to do it is not because of politics, it's because of the money. And thank you, Flavor Flav, for your contribution, but you're no longer in the band, so that's it. Wow. I mean, I don't know. Flavor Flav's been chucked out a few times, hasn't he? Because he's yeah. uh, Chuck D's had to rein him in a few times. Hasn't he? Yeah, so I, I say the least. Um, wow. But, you know, that's part of their history, I guess. I mean, that, like you say, that's happened before and it'll probably happen again, really. I mean, on one level, they are public enemy, but on the other level, you know, um, uh, for me, it was it's always been Chuck D. I just, I think he's got, he's just got one of those great hip-hop voices. And, yeah. you know, him and Big Daddy Kane, and I, I just think they just, they were the, they were the ones I kind of mimicked 
try or tried to mimic. It's partly, partly through them that I learned an American accent, really, which has come in very useful. But um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, those uh, yeah, Chuck D's kind of my guy, really. And so, Fear of the Black Planet will be certainly up there as one of my albums. But I, you know, I, I also it's a weird one because I got uh, I got issues with the album, but it is one that I keep going back to, which is Straight Outta Compton. Straight out of Compton. The next time after um, uh, Rapper's Delight and the message dropped, the, the next yeah. big time where I got smacked in the side of the head by right. uh, what was happening in, in hip-hop was the arrival of N.W.A. Yeah. I, I was just like, this is a whole new ball game. The, the shit those boys were saying, the, oh, life, right. that they, the life that they came from, the yeah. not just, and it wasn't, uh, posturing it was it was them saying this is us and and what they um what they brought and what they heralded in and the conversations that hip-hop was able to contribute to after that i just think is, is huge and not and who dre was and who dre has become i just think is it's just phenomenal it's yeah phenomenal. the story of dr dre and what he's gone on to become now in terms of you know his his business acumen and all that is is amazing when you consider you know his background when you say you have problems with the album what are your problems with the album uh like um it's the n-word mostly right, right, right. i just i just have a big problem with it i mean I, i'm and i just don't get it i don't know why we're still holding on to it i don't know why we're trying to own it i don't know why we want any part of it it's a fucked up word and we and there is no dispelling the power of that word because that word in a certain, in, in exactly the same situations that it's always been used when it has been used to harm us or demean us or to try and put us in place or to hurt us, those places where it can, it can still be used, it will still be used. We haven't taken any of the heat out of it and I don't know why we want to own it. There's loads of words that have been used to describe us that have, I don't want to ban words, but you know, there's loads of words that have been used to the, us um, as black people that are no longer used and because they've just gone by the wayside and I wish the Christ that fucking word would go with them because I don't I, I don't get it have you always felt like that like did you feel like that from when you first heard that album I felt like that before I before I'd heard that album the first time that word was used against me I was 11 years old and a policeman right. used it to me and I was riding my bike on the plate on the pavement and we all got stopped and a policeman called it, called it me. And I was like, I don't know. I don't actually know what that fucking word means. And I had to go home yeah. and ask someone. And I was just like, well, that's, yeah, I'm not having that. And, you know, and I've spent too much time either running from skinheads or running after skinheads when I was growing up. And, you know, wanting to go to specials concerts or wanting to go to madness concerts and, you know, I, I'm being harangued by fucking right wing groups to, to ever want anything to do with that, with, to do with that word. I don't, I don't, I just, it just doesn't make any sense to me. This, this notion that we have to own it. And I can, you know, living in, in America, I can, I can, I've sat with my African American friends and I've 
had the conversation over and over again, and I yeah. hear their hear their argument for it. I just don't agree. When you say you don't agree, you mean you you just cannot see any merit in that argument at all? Is that all you I, can I, understand? I, I, I can't really. I don't. I, I I don't see what the ultimate goal is. I don't. No, right. I don't buy. I don't buy into this notion of you know. Um, uh, we can we can use it, but nobody else can because it, because like I say, in you're you know um, you're, you're in a situation like I don't know. Um, and forgive me for using him as an example all over again, but it's like Stephen Lawrence, those five fuckers yeah. who stood around him. They're they're not going to go. Oh, by the way, we're not allowed to use the word, so we'll say what something else as opposed to what yeah. n word before we stab him. It's it's not going to happen. It doesn't it hasn't it hasn't affected the areas that we we think it's going it's going to affect. Actually, what we've done is we've given license to everybody to use it. Someone I know, uh, um, a black woman, was in um, Australia quite recently, and they were looking for a club a bar to go into, and they decided to go into the this bar just as the DJ in the bar put on um, Jesus Walks and. Um, and as they're walking in, she realizes she's the only black face in the in the room, and almost every white face in the room is singing the N word at the top of their voice. How have we won? How have we, yeah. gained, how have we gained anything? What, how is that a victory for us? And then we yeah. we, are, we argue when Quentin Tarantino overuses it, or when somebody else kind of uses it. But we've given them license. We've said this word means nothing, so have it. And it doesn't. It doesn't work like that. I just, I don't buy it. <laughs> yeah, no, mate, listen, I totally, I totally understand where you're coming from. And, and, and do you, does that mean that if music has that word in, what do you do? You listen to it with, with some reticence or you, you're willing to overlook that and enjoy it? Or does it stop you from enjoying those records? All of the above. I got, right. I got into an Uber the other day and, um, and was driving there was a, a Dude, young dude, kind of. Um, I think he was probably of Middle Eastern descent, and um, he was playing his music in his car um, as an Uber thing, and it was just full on N word all the way through it. And and I was just like, I'm really sorry. I'm going to have to ask you to turn that off or switch it on to something else because I can't ride in your car. I'm just not right. in the mood. I'm just not in the mood. I don't have. I don't. Um, I'm on my way to the airport and I'm focused on that. I can't, I can't be for the longest this ride. I can't be doing it. And it's, it's artists that I absolutely respect their brilliance. I think it was Kendrick that he was playing and, um, and I get it. He's a, he's a, he's a, he's a great uh, poet. He is. And I mean that in the highest sense of, of, as a compliment, I just think he is a genius. I think lyrically he is, absolutely deserving of being a Pulitzer Prize winning um, uh, poet and lyricist. And I just, and I think he's genius, but I've really got to be in the mood. I've really got to have my um, armor on to, uh, to listen to it um, um, for enjoyment. I have to dig my, dig my way through it and get my head in. And I know it kind of sounds, you know, other people will go, oh, come on, get over yourself. But it bugs me, and um, and I, I can't um, I can't help that. It doesn't mean that I, you know, I I mean that's the issue I have with the word. It's not the issue I have with the artist, and that's right. why it's a weird one for you know straight out of Compton to be 
Yes, yeah. An, al- yeah. an album that I go to because it's, it's, it's fucking all over it. But um, but that is where my is where my head goes. Have you ever had an opportunity? Has it ever come up in your life that you've come across an artist and had that conversation with them at all? No, I haven't. No, I mean indi- indirectly, um, uh, in the sense of. I remember there, I worked with um, Ashley Walters, Asher D, when he was in my um, uh, film I was talking about earlier, um, Stormed yeah. Out, when he was when he was younger, and he right. did a he did a documentary at the time about the N word and about how So Solid used it or didn't use it, and I remember um, sending him a text and just to say how fantastic I thought his documentary was because he spoke to his mum about what it meant for. Um, her generation and her generation was my generation and she was incredibly eloquent about it and and he had a real investigation about about the word and um, and what other gener- what it meant to other generations and how it had been kind of um, sent down the um, the funnel to the you know to the generations coming up behind and they had a different relationship to it and yeah. um and and I, I remember sending him a text just kind of going i really enjoyed the the conversation that he had sparked and the and the way that he was kind of addressing it so that's as close as i'd ever got really and also right. i don't you know i've had the conversation loads of times you know my black friends out here um you know slightly take the piss out of me when when i'm in amongst it if i'm at a you know a party or a gathering and stuff and the word is popping about they're gonna go you know they're they're all on oh this is gonna really hurt lenny and um and i'm like you know all right i understand and uh, but you know it sparked good conversations amongst us but it's not i i tend to just kind of go if i'm in somebody else's house and um, and um, they're allowing it, then it's it's not my business to kick it up because you know parties are meant to be parties. But if it's in my house, uh, I I have a slightly different reaction to it. I yeah, I've got no problem in saying we don't do that here. Right, right, right. And and do you think there's a difference in attitude between the black British experience and the American uh, the black American experience in terms of their attitudes towards that word, or do you think it's it's personal opinion? Uh, I think it's personal opinion now. I mean, I think, I think, and I think in part because everything's universal now. There's, there's very few things that are limited by borders, as we can see with this coronavirus. But you know, music, art, television, fashion, everything has just for the for a good number of years now it immediately crosses borders. And um, so, it, every as far as I'm concerned, almost everything is universal. Yeah. Um, you mentioned uh, Ashley Walters there. I understand that you're a So Solid fan. Is that right? I am, yeah. And it's another one where I kind of had, you know, I had issues with them, and I had um, things that I, you know, um, that I was really behind with them, and things that I necessarily weren't. But I just think it kind of, in a way, like um, NWA were. They were just a, you know, what they achieved before anybody knew who they were. I think has been kind of dismissed. Before yeah. before anybody knew what they were, they were filling halls. They were um, they were you know printing their own um, CDs. They were selling their own merchandise. They were already 
um, a collective. They were already getting on with it before anybody noticed who they were. They had organized. They were, again, no one had, no one had thought about a collective that was 21 strong or 20. I don't even remember how many members of So Solid there were. But it, you know, they, they'd got their shit together and they were putting it together and then they kind of got, got noticed and it, it's, and it was for a moment, it was fresh and they had something to say and they were contributing and even if you agreed with it or different didn't agree with it it sparked a conversation that um that was important i think i think that the you know the things that they could have contributed to gun crime and knife crime in the uk if they were still part of the conversation would have been really really useful and i think the absence of their voice i've kind of um, I've kind of missed, really. I mean, I think that they were young black men behaving like young black men, and sometimes that was, you know, that was good, and sometimes it was typical of just being young and buying into the notion of I got to prove I'm a man by how big my bollocks are or hard I think I am. And that we all did that. We all went through that. We all got to a point where we kind of went, yeah, that's not really the, the way to do it. Um, you know, and, and most of us kind of grew out of it. And I believe that they they would have done if they'd been allowed to, to kind of contribute. But just there was just madness around them. Did you feel like, because I, I think, you know, everybody's recollection, I mean, so solid when they first came out and, you know, they were getting number one records and people hadn't, in, in this country, hadn't really seen anything like that before. That type of band, you know, come to the fore in the way that they did. And the way that they were being written about was pretty negative. And yeah. it, was, it, it was horrible the way they were represented in the press. And some of that was, you know, some of that was how they were behaving. But a lot of it was just, I mean, you, it was racism, wasn't it? In the terms yeah. of the way that you want to stereotype young black men. I mean, I think people got frightened of the energy that they brought. There were, you know, like I said, there was a, there was, it was a collective. There were, it wasn't a couple of geezers stood on stage with some dancers around them. They came mob-handed, and they were on stage, and it was, it was young, it was black, and it was, and it was angry, and it was um, direct, and it was unforgiving. And I, I just, I mean, it, to a greater or lesser extent, it was punk, and um, and it was. I, I just I thought it was fucking amazing. I thought the, the shit they had to say and the uh, the way that they said it, and I thought it was uniquely British. It was uniquely British, yeah. and it, and specifically London um, kind of dynamic. It was a particular. It was a London black voice. It was. I I, I thought that they they could have and should have gone on to have been um, have had much more of a swing in it but that people did people shit their pants about so solid and what came around behind them and rather than taking it on board and seeing what they could learn from it because they were talking directly from their experience they weren't making it up and um, and yeah, and you could see that by all the stuff that went around behind them and stuff that happened to Asher D and all, all of those kind of things they was just I, you know, I'm not saying that you know everything they did was righteous, but Jesus Christ, we we missed we missed a step there. Do you feel that that sort of is missing from hip hop now? I mean, do you listen to British the new British um, hip hop, and do you listen to new American hip hop, or do you feel slightly disconnected from that now? It's a little bit of both. I kind of um, kind of get reignited, like I was saying with. Uh, I mean, now it tends to be 
the ones who um, pop their head up, uh, you know, who pop up and um, yeah. and and join the zeitgeist, which I'm, uh, if I'm honest, a little bit ashamed of. In the not ashamed, that's too much of a word, but I wish I was kind of delving in and finding people like I uh, I was doing when it was first around, kind of you know. And and finding others like the other, you know, the guys who are kind of on the fringes, the kind of poets of it all. But now, yeah. it's, you know, if it spots, pops up on Spotify and I'll have a listen and and see what's kind of being said. And, you know, there, there's always someone where you kind of go, yeah, that's that's lyrically beautiful. That is that is fantastic. I can I can um, deal with that. But I'm not investigating it in the same way that I was. No. Yeah, you have to you have to look for it, don't you, for that. And, and it, that takes time. and and there's so much more stuff coming out now as well it's actually quite difficult to i mean there is great stuff being made but you have to go and find it right yeah and again i'm such a music fan and you know one of the good things about being in austin is that um austin is one of the towns in america like nashville new york la um chicago that people go to to uh to break to make it if they're making music yeah. and um so there's regularly some you know, some great music is a band we discovered at the Continental Bar, which is an old Austin bar. And there's a, a, two brothers, and they're actually a trio, but two of them are brothers called the Peterson Brothers. And they're kind of this really fantastic mix of blues, funk, and and, and soul and jazz. Um, and, and they really know how to do it. And there must be in there, maybe the elder brother might be, you know, north of 25 but not much, but they've been playing around Austin for 10 years. Um, right. they, played, they played with B.B. King. They must have done that when they were nine or something like that, but they, they're just amazing. So I'm such a, a music lover. And as you say, there's so much music about that I get pulled in all kinds of different directions at the minute. And I just, I, I end up kind of finding someone and just playing the shit out of them forever and ever and ever. And then moving on. I'm like right. a really bad lover. <laughs> Um, and um, one of the things that we talk about on this podcast is that um, sometimes even acts that we really, really love um, don't seem to be that fussed about delivering a great live show, with some exceptions. But my, your live show experiences, your favourite live show experience, is actually outside the world of hip hop, right? Because you've you've seen some of the greats, right? And and do you have- do you have ones that stick out in your memory is like the best shows i i i have some uh some amazing ones really i mean i i was at um wembley stadium um for the free nelson mandela concert that tracy chapman kind of blew up from you know and there were eighty thousand people there waiting for stevie wonder and whitney houston and springsteen and everybody who was there um and then this small diminutive black lady with funky dreads came on with just her acoustic guitar and um and just started singing and it blew us away and i remember that very vividly i remember seeing james brown (laughs) i remember seeing james brown at the academy in brixton and that must have been insane I i swear to god this is the god's honest truth I yeah. could not believe it was James Brown because he <laughs> looks like and looks like nobody else on the planet. There was no right. one else at James Brown. And I was I was a little bit, um, uh, I, uh, I'd enjoyed a couple of Jack Daniels and Coke 
and right. um, and I and I at that, by the end of it, I was telling everybody who listened, who would listen, that the person on stage was actually James Brown. I was literally stopping people and going, "That is James Brown," <laughs> and it was it just completely and utterly blew my way. And the really weird kind of coincidence of the way these things go around, you know, cut to. 20, 25 years later, and um, I'm playing James Brown's dad in a, a biopic of his life. So it's a very weird kind of, you know, uh, come around. But I remember very clearly seeing James Brown and just not believing it was him. And the only other time that kind of happened is when we first came to LA, when I was uh, first got my first big job, um, yeah. when I went to test out um, um, America, we were invited to an Emmy party. Um, myself and the cast that I was working with and I obviously brought my wife along and we went to this Emmy party it was on the Sunset Strip it was a bar called the Sky Bar and they'd covered over the swimming pool and there was a kind of band kind of stage set up and um, and everybody's talking and it's a typical kind of LA kind of gathering everybody's there to be seen and not sweating the suit or dress that they're wearing because they have to take it back tomorrow and um, and everybody's coming around and suddenly the band pipe up and it's fucking Prince. And he's like, I don't know, he's like 10 foot away away from me and he's come with a full band, backup singers, and he does two costume changes and he plays for nearly two hours. And me, wow. and, me and my wife lost our fucking minds. We were like, oh my God, it's Prince. And we were literally for one at one point the only people dancing. Because right. everybody, everybody else was like, "Yeah, it's great, it's Prince," and I was like, "This is this is insane." Um, well, were, were people blasé about Prince playing there? Were they? They were they were impressed that he was there and they would listen to it, but there was so little dancing. It was one of the moments where I thought, "Oh right, I don't understand this this place." Is yeah, because yeah. if it was any place that I knew, and Prince suddenly rocked up and was putting on a show, people would be dancing until they were puddles. And yeah. um, and it wasn't quite like that, but yeah, I've been very lucky. I've seen Prince and Jackson, and and we used to follow, like I said before, Gil Scott Heron. I have very strong and beautiful memories of him. I remember my first concert that I had gone to, which was about me going and and um, wasn't music handed down from somebody else, but it was music I discovered for myself, and that was, like I said before, was hip hop and. And Scar, and I remember very clearly my, my first ever concert going with mates was to see Madness at the Hammersmith Odeon. And that, right. just, that just blew me away as well. It was just ridiculous. Once you'd got through all the green bomber jackets and found your seat, it was, it was an yeah. amazing, amazing concert. And uh, what are you listening to at the moment? Um, at the moment, I'm listening to Sun Little, my, one of my daughters um uh who's suddenly be has become my kind of source of music i should be listening to and watch and what she thinks i'll like she sent yeah. me aloha which is sun little's new album and i'm just playing that off the hook at the moment and um force save me um one of the tracks we use is slow up by um jacob banks and i'd not yeah. really heard i'd not really heard the fella before so uh, and i loved his his voice don't go up on me keep that backstroke in your afro don't you grow up on me slow up on me don't you grow up on me keep it OG 
sip it slowly, don't you grow up on me Slow up on me Don't you show off on me And um, so I've just, at the moment, I'm just basically collecting everything that he's done and it's on a it's on a constant loop at the moment um which is and those are the two that i'm that i'm full on into at the moment and um that you know i'm when i kind of put music on it's one or the other and has yeah. been for i think the last well at least the last month so, right. I mean, like I said, I get a bit like that. Yeah. Well, look, Lenny, listen, um, we've taken up a lot of your time. Um, thank you so much for chatting to us, man. Um, thank you. And Save Me Too is uh, all of those episodes are going to be available on Sky Atlantic and Now TV on the 1st of April. Is that right? Is that when they That come? is, yeah. Yeah, all six. All six are available on the 1st. Okay, great. So, um, listen, if you haven't seen it, watch the first series. Get that second series watched. It's, it's an unbelievable show. Lenny, it's been an absolute honour to chat to you, man. Thank you so much for coming on. We appreciate Not it. Not at all, mate. It's been a lot of fun. It's, been, right, a take... real, it's been a real lot of fun. Oh, cheers, man. You take care. Cheers, mate. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.